Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Crystal Silence League Hour, live from Divine Harmony Spiritual Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, on the LMC Radio Network, a show dedicated to open-minded discussion of spirituality, new thought, prayer, and the practical use of crystals. And now, your host, the Reverend John St. Germain. Hello, everybody. You know, every week I say the same thing about uh, the Crystal Silence League and Claude Alexander Conlon. I think I'm just going to turn this part of the show over to a great leader in the uh, spiritual church, King Louis Narcisse. Uh, And I'm going to keep my mouth shut for about two and a half minutes. So here we go. need tonight. That is what we all need tonight. Get in the spirit. This is uh, Crystal Silence League Hour. I'm your host, the Reverend John St. Germain. Let's get in the spirit tonight and get ready for prayer. 
As you know, we are a prayer service. We're located at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. We were founded by by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon, the great spiritual adept, who back in about 1917 or so founded the organization for the purpose of projecting prayer and positive affirmation for all those in need of such. So let me have a drink of this warm coffee, and we shall move on to what is first on our agenda. And now it's time for our Crystal of the Week. Well, so it is. It is that time. And uh, our Crystal of the Week is uh, astrophyllite, which is a lovely stone, and you'll see it in different colors. Uh, I've seen it blue with gold flecks, uh, white with gold flecks, many different colors of gold flecks. And um, it is a... um, uh, uh, a, a not common crystal. You don't see this a lot. And I've, I've even asked some crystal dealers who had astrophyllite look at me and say, are you sure that's a real thing? <laughs> uh, but it is a um, uh, uh, mostly golden yellow. It's got all kinds of flex things. It's like a handful of glitter thrown into a uh, stone. And um, it, it's good for treating depression. Um uh, good to help overcome the lack of concentration. It's good for um, uh, um, getting um, getting yourself back to um, your true self. Uh, we sometimes drift away from that. We get wrapped up in this image of who we think people want us to be, and we forget who we're supposed to be. And uh, uh, it's good for finding your true self, going on that journey where you uh, – you know, who am I really? And uh, a lot of times in midlife or so, you've given yourself to other people in bits and pieces, and you don't have anything left for yourself. And this is a good stone when you're trying to find out who you really are. Uh, a lot of people are very insecure about expressing their true nature, and this can help you gain the security to uh, to say, well, you know, to hell with everybody else. What about me? And uh, uh, this golden yellow energy can uh, – generate joy, you know, happiness in who you are. And how many people are truly happy about who they are? How many people can truly sit with themselves and be happy about that? Uh, uh, a lot of people aren't. You know, honestly, a lot of people are not very happy with themselves. And it's a it's a star stone in that it can connect the crown chakra to the stars, the higher light. Uh, the voice of the universe, and uh, we might do a whole show on that. That's that's a big topic, uh, but that's astrophyllite. It's a very interesting stone. Uh, it is one that we, uh, you know, we we consider one of the rarer stones. Uh, not that expensive. A piece of it might cost you thirty to fifty dollars, depending on the quality of it. So, boom. boom. Reverend Tony, I said we should do kryptonite one some night. Uh, I was going to do uh, if my show fell on April Fool's Day. I was going to do dilithium. Uh, you know how it uh, how it helps contain antimatter uh, or uh, unobtainium, uh, dilithium or unobtainium or uh, uh, upsidasium. If you can tell me where upsidasium is from, I will love you forever. And uh, uh, 
Upsidaisium is from Bullwinkle. Do you remember Upsidaisium? It was a it was a rock that had anti gravity properties. Upsidaisium. I was going to do upsid. I might yeah. I might sneak in uh, dilithium, uh, unobtainium, uh, upsidaisium. I, I may I may yet. I may yet. Just watch me. Watch me. Watch me do it. Watch me do it. All right. The time approaches for our weekly prayer service. If you are so inclined, join us at crystalsilenceleague.org to see this week's prayer request. Uh, and here we are, www.crystalsilenceleague.org on the prayer page. Prayer request page, and we get a lot of these, and we get a, sometimes a hundred, sometimes two hundred, and sometimes not as many. But we got a lot this week. I just finished praying for forty-five people before the show, sending out prayer requests. You know, um, when you click the button "Pray" and send email, I don't know if you've ever posted a prayer here at that time. Uh, you get this nice little email that says someone at the Crystal Silence League has prayed for you. And uh, you've no idea how uplifting that can be if you're in a, a place of anxiety or worry or sadness to get to know that someone, just someone out there is thinking of you. It's uh, it's really uplifting. It, it, it can be the difference between uh, a very bad state in a better state, it really, it really can be. I, um, I, I've experienced that. Just somebody reaching out and thinking about you, you know, saying, "You know, you know, I care, I care." That is a very uplifting thing. So we will start with prayer ID one zero three six zero six. Please cleanse me of any negativity and restore what was lost. Amen. And prayer ID 103605, please pray to completely bind and remove all negative influences from all names of the Book of the Dead. Now, moving forward on all facets of my life, and also pray to completely remove all delays, oppositions, obstacles, all my plans and projects, job applications, and lastly, please pray that the relationship of J.K., and R will only get stronger each passing day. And please remove all malicious slander, obstacles, opposition, all deterrence to their relationship. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And then this prayer is repeated several times. You don't get more power with repetition with this, I'm afraid. Prayer ID 103596. I am in need of spiritual help. I'm in danger as I need a new home after being outside a landlord bent on greed. Also, a roommate like an adopted son and his family causing me grief from day one. I need this while fighting for my health, cataract surgery, foot surgery, and knee replacement. Oh, my goodness. Now, instead of using money for a much-needed car, I find myself and my husband possibly facing living in rundown motel with our pup for months. May you be blessed. Amen. Prayer ID 103595. Pray for my niece, F. She's in hospital with a blood and urine infection. Very severe grade, and she's just three. 
please pray for her total recovery and send her your love and energy. Thanks so much. Love and gratitude for all of you. Amen. Prayer ID 103594. Dear Lord Jesus, I declare any and all sickness gone in your name, and I pray that you heal me in every way. Draw me closer and keep Satan away. I will praise you, Lord, and leave it all with you now. Amen. This person also prays um, the protection for her mother. Therefore, my mother hurt her dogs, my brother, and his cat. Amen. And also prays uh, uh, Satan is using sickness and my dear uh, cancer to weaken me and my faith in you, and it needs to be stopped. And gosh, there's a lot of prayers here. Um, in praise for her general well being. Amen. Prayer ID 103587. We praise for a loved one for her father. And says, praise for the Christ of Christ light directs and guides and heals be Christ love enfolds be and Christ peace protects be. Amen. Prayer ID 103586. That St. Teresa of Lisu help me OSA to stop alcohol, drugs, and stripping. I'm loved by all that I grow spiritually according to two. Oh, the second Peter uh, verse three eighteen. I'm protected from harm by enemies through black magic, restore my faith and my health. Then we have prayer ID one oh three five eight two. Send all good friends and family back together towards me to share happiness, travel, cookouts, games, church, and love. Sharing and caring beautifully together. Forgiveness, hopes, prayers, truthfulness among each other. Help, stop destroying, stop evil, deceit, treachery. Call on the gods to come together and seek Jesus, our Father, which art in heaven. Amen. And... Prayer ID 103579. He says, please pray that I, I and R, am selected for an apartment in Riverwalk Park Residences as a resident for the apartment I applied for on Roosevelt Island, New York. Humbly asking that this prayer request be granted. Amen. And prayer ID 103578. Our beloved K is going blind. He's doing his best to hold onto his current job, but is struggling. He needs supernatural and divine assistance from energies beyond us, the realm. Please lift him up to have success and to be able to navigate through his current struggles and to keep his job as he has a family to provide for. Thank you and be blessed. Then we just need a couple. Um, couple more. Um, let's see. Um, pray, there's, a, there's a few people who are waiting for their stimulus checks. May the stimulus checks come through. Um, prayer ID 103-562. Please help my roommate who's on dialysis and missing his appointments. Please heal him. Send down your angels to watch over him and keep him safe and encourage him to get the medical treatment that he needs. Amen. And prayer ID 103560, 
please pray for me. I'm currently in the hospital diagnosed as having C, difficult colitis, or C, difficultitis. Please keep me in prayer and a quick recovery for me. Amen. And let's take a moment of prayer for all who are in need of comfort, support, and healing. I always have to check and make sure my microphone button is on. Sometimes I'll mute the mic, and it's over to the left, and all my uh, audio is to the right. And sometimes and when I go over to the prayer page, I leave that area entirely. And there have been times I've done half the show where I've been muted, and there are people going, hey, hey, we can't hear you. And, you know, I'm not even on that page. I can't even tell. Then I'll come back and everybody in chat going, can't hear you, can't hear you, can't hear you. And I've done 30 minutes with the, the mute button on because, you know, I'm I'm an idiot and it doesn't take much to distract me. I, I don't always check on things and I'll get in the spirit and not even know. We've been talking about life and death and uh, I talked a whole lot about the afterlife and death and stuff. Uh, I want to talk to you about the origins of life this week and uh, – and it's very interesting because, you know, every religion has a, a mythos about where we come from, and we have a very simple story in some of them, uh, uh, a lovely story in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and he said, let there be light. And then he created all the creatures of the earth, and he created man, and then he took a rib and created Eve. And we know that didn't happen, uh, not really, and the serpent brought evil, and, you know, we know that didn't happen. That's a metaphor uh, for um, man falling from innocence and uh, disobeying the will of the higher power and learning, uh, you know, evolving a sense of right and wrong. There are people who take it literally and believe that uh, 
uh, God created man from clay and breathed life into him and, uh, to very complex uh, creation mythos like the Mahabharata uh, you know, of India. And I mean, it takes years to comprehend all of that. The Upanishads, uh, Bhagavad Gita, the Mahabharata is enormous creation legends you know but what really happened um it's generally um accepted by uh science uh, that life began in the ocean uh, darwin's warm little pond uh and we're going to talk about that because i remember in high school uh i had a very daring biology teacher who talked about the miller fury experiment and I don't know if you know about this experiment, but it was groundbreaking. It happened in the 50s, and um, we're going to talk about that because it demonstrated really uh, what proto-life was created in a laboratory. And it demonstrated how life formed on Earth. And uh, uh, it's not taught in schools. It's not even discussed very much because of the very power of the lobby of fundamentalist uh, Christians. Um, it is taught in many colleges. Um, I remember discussing it quite vigorously, and some of the very religious students were yelling during it. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Uh, and I don't understand why religion and science cannot uh, merge. And uh, there, there was a. Um, um, I'm actually going to look it up right now. Who said it? Uh, uh, a very wise of everyone. I won't have to look it up. I'm glad I have the world's knowledge at my fingertips. Um, um, uh, it, it may have been Stephen Hawking, but I think it might have been. Um, It may have been Stephen Hawking who said it, but I want to say it was someone like William James. But uh, someone said, if everyone worshipped gravity, there would be no disagreement. And uh, I don't know why religion and science cannot embrace each other. There's this huge argument, uh, creationism versus evolution. And I, I don't know why uh, there cannot be an embrace of it, because the, the process of evolution does not negate the idea that there was an intelligent uh, design behind it. It does not. You're looking at the process of creation. It does not negate it, and we'll we'll look at that. We'll look at that. But let's talk about this Miller-Urey, which is a marvelous thing. It was just a marvelous thing. But um, but we have to go back before that. There was a. Geologists estimate that the Earth formed about 4.5 billion years ago, not 3,000 years ago with deceptive processes, but 4.5 billion years ago. And that comes from measuring the ages of the oldest rocks on Earth, the ages of moon rocks, meteorites, all, kind, all kinds of different ways we estimate the Earth is formed about 4.5 billion years ago. In many millions of years, early Earth was pummeled by asteroids and other objects. Temperatures have been very high. And at these temperatures, water was a gas, not a liquid. And the very first life 
may have emerged during a break in the asteroid bombardment a billion years ago when it was cool enough for water to condense into oceans and puddles. But a second bombardment happened about 3.9 billion years ago and um, probably wiped out this early life, which most likely was not based on RNA and DNA. There was a, a, a proto-genetics uh, that had been more or less speculated from fossils. Uh, after that final, uh, it's like there was an attempt at life that was not RNA or DNA. Uh, then it was wiped out, and then there became a, a settling period where Earth became capable of supporting life. And uh, the earliest evidence of life uh, comes from fossils that are, that are like 3.5 billion years old, and uh, they're called uh, stromatolites. Um, and these are layered single-celled microbes, uh, which are very similar to bacteria. And um, uh, they're, they're layered and uh, uh, interdependent. So, and bacteria are fairly complex, suggesting that life probably began much earlier than that 3.5 billion years. But you can't find fossils before then, so you can't do it. So, um, in the 20s, um, these two scientists, uh, Alexander Oparon and uh, this English scientist, Haldane, both separately proposed what's called the Oparin-Haldane hypothesis that life on Earth uh, could have – now, scientists speak very cautiously, but experiments have really backed this up. Life could have arisen step-by-step from non-living matter through a process of gradual chemical evolution. So they thought that the Earth, early Earth had an atmosphere, uh, an oxygen-poor atmosphere, in which molecules tend to donate electrons. So under those conditions, uh, simple inorganic molecules could have reacted with energy from lightning to form building blocks like amino acids and nucleotides, which could have accumulated in clumps in the ocean, uh, making what has been called ever since then, the primordial soup. <laughs> so these building blocks could combine in further reactions created by other events, which, as it turns out, were like volcanic uh, eruptions of things, forming more complex molecules that we call polymers, like proteins and nucleic acids, in little pools at the water's edge, which Darwin called uh, warm little pools. And these polymers could have assembled into units or structures that were capable of sustaining and replicating themselves. So Oparin thought these might have been colonies of proteins clustered together to carry out metabolism. Uh, Pauline thought that micro, macromolecules became enclosed in membranes to make cell-like structures. It's a very elegant uh, idea. Um, further experiments seem to carry out that the model was not quite correct. Uh, Geologists now think the early atmosphere was not a reducing or oxygen-poor atmosphere, and it's unclear whether these pools were a likely site for life's first appearance, and we'll, we'll see why in a minute. Uh, but the basic idea, this step-by-step -step spontaneous formation of simple, then more complex, then self-sustaining biological assemblies is still at the core most of the origin of life models. So along comes uh, 
Stanley Miller and Harold Uley in 1953, and they did an experiment to test this theory. So they built this closed system that um, that, is, that is so exciting. Uh, and this is what I heard about in high school, the Miller-Urey experiment. Um, they used water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen, the primordial soup. They put it in a sealed unit, a sealed, a sealed sterile unit, um, and basically jolted electricity, electric sparks, continuously, just like the lightning in uh, the primordial day. And after a couple of days, um, the solution collected at the trap, the condensation, had turned pink. And after a week, it was deep red and, and turbid. So this boiling flask was removed, and um, they added uh, mercuric chloride to it to represent uh, uh, further chemical action. And, uh, and so they evaporated it to remove impurities. And using the tools at the time, which was like paper chromatography, they identified five amino acids as the solution, glycine, uh, A aniline, and B aniline, positively identified aspartic acid and A amino butyric acid were less certain. Um, and when, in an interview uh, many years later, he said that just turning on the spark in a basic prebiotic experiment will yield 11 out of 20 amino acids. And you know, all life on Earth, well, I, I say you know, but um, all life on Earth is based on 20 amino acids, all life on Earth. So what happened uh, in, uh, 50 years later, you, you know, this basic suit that they made was sealed in vials and stored away. Uh, so um, in uh, uh, the year 2000, some Scientists and students found the experiment uh, stored away, you know, like in a closet. And they said, well, you know, he didn't have uh, um, uh, very good equipment. Uh, it may have been more successful than he thought, right? So they found 25 amino acids that uh, Miller hadn't found. All of life on Earth is formed out of 20. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't blow your mind, there you go. Miller-Urey experiment proved that the building blocks of life could have and most likely were formed by these studies. Now, uh, later on, when these experiments were replicated, they said, well, what if this wasn't exactly what happened? Well, uh, the, um, another thing that happened, uh, the idea that organic molecules might have traveled to Earth on meteorites, which sounds, you know, like conspiracy theory or something, but there's a lot of evidence for that. Um, Scientists have found that organic molecules can be produced from simple chemical precursors present in space under conditions that could exist in space, like high ultraviolet radiation and low temperatures. Uh, it's also known that some organic compounds are found in space and other star systems. And most interestingly, various meteorites have turned out to contain organic compounds 
And I remember reading in 1969, when I was in the fifth grade, in the newspaper, amino acids found in meteorite. And it was on the back page of the newspaper, not a headline, the back page of the newspaper. And I was stunned. And I was like, that's life. That's proto-life. And I showed my parents. They're like, okay. And I went to school and I mean, I cut the article out. I took it to school, and nobody cared. And my fifth grade teacher said, John, this is very exciting. It's very exciting. And I'm impressed that you understand what this means. And, and uh, she said that, um, you know, remember this because someday this is going to be very important. So various meteorites have turned out to contain organic compounds. Uh, one meteorite came from Mars and contained organic molecules with multiple ring structures. And uh, other meteorites uh, carried nit- nitrogenous bases like those found in DNA and RNA, as well as an uh, intricate variety of amino acids. Uh, a meteorite that fell in uh, 2000 in Canada contained tiny organic structures that were called organic globules. And uh, the NASA scientists think this type of meteorite might have fallen to Earth often during the planet's early history, seeding it with RNA-like organic compounds. So how this life originally on Earth is, is not only fascinating and complex, but it could have happened many different ways. And uh, you don't even have to bring in a creator. You don't even have to uh, bring in a creator. Uh, so the fundamental question, why are things the way they are and not another way? Why are conditions set up to make the spontaneous arousal of life in the universe so easy? Um, and this is a very interesting question. And um, so the uh, uh, polymers form for this um, uh, the, uh, if you imagine that these polymers were able to form on early Earth, how did they become self-replicating? They're self-perpetuating. Well, and the most basic criteria of life is, is uh, self-replication. Now, one possibility is that the first life forms were self-replicating nucleic acids, such as RNA or DNA, and the other elements like metabolic networks were a later add-on. Uh, you know, it evolved, and that's called the genes first hypothesis. So many scientists who subscribed and uh, built models for this think that RNA, not DNA, was likely the first genetic material, and that's called the RNA world hypothesis. Scientists favor RNA over DNA as the first genetic molecule for uh, many reasons. Uh, the most important is that RNA can in addition to carry information, act as a catalyst. And uh, it's arise, it has been known and been seen to arise spontaneously in the world and in the universe. But DNA has never been known to naturally occur. It has to be formed. Um, so RNA catalysts are called ribosomes, and they could have been played key roles in the RNA world. So a catalytic RNA could potentially catalyze a chemical reaction to copy itself, which, you know, is what it does, right? Uh, So a self-replicating RNA could pass genetic material from generation to generation, which fulfills the most basic criteria for life. And 
potentially undergoing evolution. Um, and in fact, researchers have been able to synthetically engineer small ribozymes that are capable of self-replication. This is creating proto-life in the lab under conditions that existed in uh, the primordial suit, right? So it's also possible that RNA was not the first information-carrying molecule to serve as genetic material. Um, many scientists think that an even simpler RNA-like molecule with a catalytic and information-carrying capacity might have come first, and that then you know is wiped out by, by the meteor attacks, and might have catalyzed or acted as a template for RNA synthesis. That's the pre-RNA world hypothesis. So um, then there's this idea of the metabolism first uh, hypothesis, which suggests that self-sustaining networks of metabolic reactions may have been the first simple life, which predated the formation of nucleic acids. These networks might have formed near undersea hydrothermal vents that provided, you know, the undersea uh, volcanic vents that provided a continuous supply of chemical precursors and might have been self-sustaining and persistent, which is the basic criteria for life. And uh, in that scenario, uh, simple pathways might have produced molecules that acted as catalysts for the formation of more complex molecules. And uh, uh, the uh, organic molecules in outer space could have contributed to this as well. And the extraterrestrial um, origin has been brought up many times uh, in organisms that are not related to uh, Earth. Uh, there is a uh, um, old genes. Uh, uh, the deeper you dig into genetic research, and, and uh, this is very interesting, uh, you find this idea uh, there are old genes. And uh, uh, old genes are genes that are shared by every living organism on Earth. And uh, because we all have a common ancestor, we go far enough back. <clears throat> so every living organism on Earth shares these old genes, except some organisms. And octopods and fungus seem to be alien to every other life form on Earth. And it's been speculated that the uh, genetic material that evolved into octopods and octopi, octopuses, and funguses maybe extraterrestrial in origin. You know, arriving, not, you know, a, a space people came in a spaceship and did it, but arriving, the, uh, very interesting. Let's take a breath and digest some of that. And now we'll pause for station identification. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwick Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Lefay. Fridays, 1 to 2, and Blue Flag Root Radio with 
Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All times specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So where does that leave us as people? And, and why do such things happen? Um, there is an old theological argument that man must have been created by a creator because the entire – and this is um, where uh, uh, science is used as an argument that man must have been created by an outside force because uh, of entropy and of entropy is the tendency for energy to be dissipated. It goes from an organized state to a disorganized state. The second law of thermodynamics. And uh, energy is spread. Energy uh, will be spread to the uh, greatest amount of area. And, um, you know, so, so here is man who started out is dust, right? And then we become organized into this highly organized uh, uh, organism. Well, how could that have happened with entropy, right? Without intelligent design, without a uh, creative mind. Well, um, nature will create seemingly organized systems to spread energy, like tornadoes, whirlpools. Uh, uh, volcanoes, which are highly organized and uh, obey very structured rules in order to spread the maximum amount of energy. And what system spreads more energy than life itself? And so is it possible that life is nature's most efficient the universe's, in fact, most efficient mechanism for the maximum distribution of energy. That life equals entropy. And that's the origin of life. That's how life happened. The most efficient method, I mean, even from the very beginning, from the very beginning for the maximum distribution of entropy. Life equals entropy. Not organization. No more organized than a tornado. Maximum distribution. But now, at what point does sentience, consciousness, comes in? Well, for that, we have to go to Buddhism. <laughs> I was going to get there somewhere. Um, um, Buddha said that nobody can remember a time when consciousness wasn't, which you know, a very Buddhist thing to say, isn't it? Um, the uh, it's uh, assumed in Buddhism that consciousness is a fundamental quality of the universe itself, like gravity and mass. It's it's just assumed. You know, it's like a ridiculous question. Uh, you know, where did consciousness come from? Where did sentience come from? And what's the fundamental quality of the universe? 
like gravity and mass. You know, where did gravity come from? Where did mass come from? You know, um, um, it's just assumed. And that since beginningless time, there's consciousness, there's sentience. And if and the question is, you know, if someone says, well, it arises from brain, uh, you know, the, the, the wise Buddhists say, well, how can consciousness, which is aware, arise from matter, which is not, you, you know, just to a, to a Buddhist, it's, it's an absurd thing to say that sentience arises from matter. And one might say that how can life, which is aware, arise from matter, which is not and so at what point does become complex enough to where sentience um, not arises but assumes that continuity uh, the stream of consciousness uh, the vangachita as it's called in Buddhism uh, the vangachita is the stream of consciousness that continues from life to life at what point does the simple primordial proto-life in this structure, um, in this model, become complex enough that it picks up the Vangachita, which is already there right, in the universe, but doesn't have a, a, a mechanism to express itself. And where it shows self-awareness, well, amoebas show awareness of the environment. Um, do viruses, our virus, our virus is life. Uh, you know, that's a question. Bacteria, are they life? That's a question. It's been estimated that a mosquito has the um, uh, the computing capacity of a uh, garage door opener. Um, this was by Douglas Hostetler, who's an AI guy. And But does a garage door opener have awareness of itself? Does it have awareness? And they have the uh, computing capacity. And, but, you know, does a mosquito yearn? Does a mosquito have dreams and aspirations? You know, you don't know. So it, it's, it's a very interesting question. Where does the sentience come from? Uh, on the subject of the Vanga Chita, uh, we, we have to go to Asanga, who was a Buddhist philosopher of the Yogacara school. And uh, Asanga was a very interesting man. And uh, not everybody... And Buddhism agrees with him. Uh, he was uh, a fourth-century Tibetan uh, uh, spiritual figure, really one of the most important in uh, uh, Mahayana Buddhism. And he described uh, in Yogacara the idea of the uh, storehouse consciousness. And this is a very important concept. The storehouse consciousness is what lies beneath, um, and uh, it is uh, uh, where everything you experience um, lies. Uh, for instance, if you eat it, and I use this a lot, this uh, the chocolate chip cookie thing, because you know everybody likes chocolate chip cookies, right? Uh, and he called it the Alea Vinyana, the storehouse consciousness, and. Uh, um, it's the unconscious level of experience where all of our habits are maintained. Um, 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 when you're not looking, um, so chocolate chip cookie, um, um, the, um, 
the uh, uh, first time you see one, right? You um, you don't know what it is, so you smell it, you taste it, you feel it, you touch it, and you're storing up all these impressions about it, and uh, you um, uh, you think, well, you know, I like this, you know, this is cool, um, and you sort it. Well, the next time you um, experience a chocolate chip cookie, um, you um, uh, you don't have to go through that investigation again from the storehouse consciousness. You bring up these impressions. Hey, I like this chocolate chip cookie, and it accumulates all this uh, experience. It's all the experiences you've ever had. And uh, so with this uh, 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 conscious, this uh, uh, Alea Vignana, this storehouse consciousness, it stores up everything that is you that we think of as uh, personality. And this is a very exciting thing. It, it is um, yeah, everything that we grasp, everything that we experience, and this is what becomes part of the Vanga um, Chitta, the stream of consciousness. It's also why when you wake up, when you go to sleep and you wake up, you're the same person. You, you don't lose all everything. When you go under surgery, you're um, – um, um, your personality doesn't disappear. There's that stream of consciousness that is always under beneath. It's a very important um, 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 thing. And it's believed in uh, Yogacara that during enlightenment, the uh, uh, conscious and the Alaya conscious flip. And it's called the eighth consciousness. Um, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a verse that says, the storehouse consciousness of Leia is very profound and subtle. All its seeds are like a torrential flow. I do not explain it to the ignorant. This is what uh, Asanga said. For fear they will cling to it and consider it a self. And you see how that could be because this is passed from existence to existence. And this is why some people were born with uh, predilections. You know, you might be born with certain uh, talents and abilities and stuff. Because this is part of the uh, uh, storehouse consciousness. So, um, uh, this is why uh, Shakyamuni Buddha gave very few teachings on the Alaya consciousness. He, he mentioned it mind without feature, illuminous all over, mind like fire and bound, these sort of things, uh, because he didn't want people to have a false fixation on something as the ultimate. Uh, you know, it's like, oh my God, if I can access this. Uh, uh, Alea consciousness. I'll have all knowledge, all the knowledge of all these past lives and stuff. He didn't want to talk extensively about something that sentient beings, uh, you know, lacking losing a perception, might take as a higher self or a final reality. And many people do. Um, there are many schools, many gurus to this day that you know, say if you can access this inner self, this higher being, you'll have all wisdom. Uh, in particular, he was worried about beings that might take the Alea as a big cell for true uh, higher soul. Many people do. The theosophists uh, have fallen into this heresy. Uh, in fact, many of the Hindu sages who were able to reach to the Alea body of consciousness before uh, uh, Shakyamuni Buddha made this very mistake. They took the Alaya, Alaya as uh, Brahman, 
but it's only the essence of consciousness. It's it's a storehouse. It's storehouse contents where things are stored. And they would reach that stage of cultivation and, and, and claim, I am he, I am he, I'm Brahman, I am Shiva. And uh, But they'd say, all of this is Brahman. They thought they found God. And lots of times you can access this under altered states. These uh, ketamine experiences, it's a glimpse, a storehouse, the LSD experiences that people say, I saw God. No, you saw the Alea. You saw the storehouse conscious. These uh, uh, Morning of the Magician talks about the Aleph, where, they, where you see you're one with everything. No, you saw the Alea. You saw the storehouse consciousness. This is something that happens in meditation. Oh, my God, I saw a light, but no. You saw a glimpse of the Alea, the storehouse consciousness. Why do you need a teacher? There's uh, writings uh, in some of the uh, Eastern uh, – I know the Supreme Brahman. There's nothing higher than that. It's in the uh, Prasna Upanishad. All this universe is Brahman. The self is Brahman. Uh, in the Upanishad, it's the Alaya consciousness. It's very high realization, but it's not the Brahman, right? So, uh, And if you look in the Buddha's discourse in the Diamond Sutra, where he says that there's no such real thing as a world system or an agglomeration of world systems, if such a thing existed in reality, it would be the oneness of all phenomenon. And there's neither any components uh, nor the whole that should be regarded as real. No stage of attainment should be regarded as real. And if one even considers themselves an ego identity, being a real self, they're not correct either. So no stage of attainment is really existing or ever attained. So how can there be a worldview? Uh, and uh, so this is very important to know, very important to know. Uh, I know it seems like we're going off on a, a weird tangent, but it is very important because the storehouse conscious always existed. The Vangajita always existed, and according to the enlightened sages, this world system is one of many. The universe expands and contracts, expands and contracts. It reaches an end. And this is what science and physicists tell us that you know there's an expansion. The Big Bang is actually a big growth, and it reaches an end. You know, entropy. Uh, the energy is spread to a certain point, loses momentum, and then contracts. And this is described in Buddhist texts that there are world systems, and it's gone on since beginningless times. And uh, according to the Buddha, uh, each world system has a uh, uh, a Buddha who explains this, and Buddha said he was the 13th Buddha uh, in his line, and he, he names them all. You know, the one before him was Kasapa Buddha, and the one after him is um, Maitreya, the Maitreya, or Maitreya, Maitreya or Maitreya Buddha. And, uh, uh, you know, the Buddha, Vangachita, the Buddha stream of consciousness just continues as everyone does, and uh, so. The stream of consciousness, though, continues. The universe expands, contracts. There's another, you know, big bang or big expansion, contracts. Another one, but the consciousness, like mass, like gravity, continues. The uh, process of life continues here, some other world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Consciousness continues, and when the uh, matter uh, forms itself into whatever form of life, consciousness takes form in it. It's very very simple. But what's interesting is that we always discover uh, our curiosity. We always discover where we came from. You know, you know, we do form uh, 
because we we look in and we see uh, the stream of consciousness and we think it's Brahman, we think it's God, we, we think, and, and of course being us, we we think I am God, you know I am God. This higher thing I'm saying is vast consciousness, that's God, and in a way it's correct because it is huge. It's the huge consciousness. It's self It's self driven. Um, it's self-perpetuating. It's eternal. Um, it is, in one sense, the creator, um, but we always uh, interpret it in terms of ourselves, and we give it our uh, we give it our um, best traits, and we give it our worst traits. And I'm not I'm not even going to say. Um, what has been said, other people have said we create God in our own image. I'm not, I'm not even going to suggest that, um, but um, there, there is some truth to that, and that the consciousness exists before we do. Well, it's time to call this to a close, and you know, once again, you've uh, spent another hour by the fireplace, and I'm glad to know you're here. Uh, so let's uh, call, it, call it a day, and we'll see you next week. This has been the you. Crystal Silence League Hour, heard exclusively on the LMC Radio Network. Join us next time for spiritual fellowship and discussion of spirituality, prayer, and advice on the practical use of crystals. It's been 30 days. County boarded up my window and took the kids away. A simple life disappeared on tiptoe. I'm talking to a maid who reads tomorrow's past and present mysteries. Even Eastern bands share a key rich with family history. The Church of Divine Harmony Serving lost lambs of Knoxville, Tennessee He faithfully prays with the crystal Silence League Reverend St. Germain Operates a jacket feeds at nightly Hanging from a chain He sealed his hair and wax and wax